Tonight we're coming back to our study on the attributes of Scripture, or more plainly put, what we believe about the Bible. We took a break from this series last week uh, to talk about what I call discerning a good thing, which was a reflection on the Unite Auburn event that took place last Tuesday. And uh, if you weren't able to be here for that, I encourage you to listen to that. It's up on our podcast. But like I said, we're back in our, our series on Scripture tonight. And the attribute or characteristic of Scripture that I want us to think about tonight is the inspiration of Scripture. The inspiration of Scripture. This is something that we talked a little bit about a couple of weeks ago when we were thinking about what did Jesus believe about the Bible? What was Jesus' view of Scripture? And that was one aspect of what he believed about the Bible. And I, but I said then that we were just getting a snippet of it then. We'd talk about it more in a later week, and this is that, that week. Uh, looking at it from a, a wider biblical framework, that's what I want to do tonight. Last week, we were originally supposed to talk about the holiness of Scripture. We believe the Bible, that the Bible is the holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, right? Uh, holy. And um, we never got a chance to do that because of uh, what, what, what we talked about instead. Uh, and, uh, and now that there's only so many weeks in the semester, we're just going to press on and we're going to move to inspiration. But before we do that, I do want to say something about what I would have said last week. What, that we believe about the Bible is, is, the whole, is, is holy. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of Bibles you see, it literally says holy Bible on it, right? So what do we mean by holy? And we say it's the holy inspired and errant. Why holy? I don't want to spend a ton of time here because we have a lot of ground to cover to think about inspiration. But one thing I was going to share with you last week is, um, is a great passage from one of our historic confessions of faith that gets at kind of what we might mean by um, the holiness of Scripture. But by the way, when I say confession of faith, make sure we're all on the same page. For historically, going all the way back to the early church, churches and then later denominations would publish confessions of faith. Basically, put down in writing, this is what we believe. This is what we believe. This is how we understand the Bible to teach the basic Christian faith. We're just publishing it to the world. Now you know who we are. Like, that's what a confession of faith is. And one of those old uh, Baptist confessions of faith uh, from the 17th century, 1689, uh, and it also says this in the, in the Westminster Confession of the same century, it has a statement in it that captures so well, I think, what we, we might mean by the holiness of Scripture. I'm going to read it in updated language. I think you'll appreciate that. Um, and listen carefully to what it says. He says that, it says, The testimony of the church of God, the testimony of the church of God, may stir and persuade us to adopt a high and reverent respect for the Holy Scriptures. In other words, you might think it's a holy Bible just because the church says it is, and you believe that, right? But it goes on to say, but if you, if you just read it yourself, you would find... The heavenliness of its contents, the power of the system of truth, the majesty of the style, the harmony of all the parts, the central focus on giving all glory to God, the full revelation of the only way of salvation, and many other incomparable qualities and complete perfections all provide abundant evidence that the Scriptures are the Word of God. And it says this, though, even so, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth of the divine authority of the Scriptures comes from the internal work of the Holy Spirit. 
bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. Okay, that's the end quote. You can see, if you were listening to that carefully, you can, you can see how that, in that confession we, we get the holiness of Scripture. In both senses that we mean the word holy. Holy has two different kind of senses. On the one hand, holy means set apart. It's, it's other. It's, it's not common. We're common. Something that's holy is uncommon. That makes sense? It's other, separate. Holy in the other sense means pure, right? And sometimes, those, sometimes it's, it's other because of its purity, right? But that's two senses in which we mean it. And, and you can, in that, that confession of faith that I just read, you can ha- kind of hear both of those things going on about the Bible. So holy as set apart, right? You could, you could get that sense in how, what, that we believe that about the Bible when it talks about the heavenliness of its contents and the majesty of its style and the harmony of the parts and, and all the things like that. So that's like holiness as set apart. That would mean that the Bible really is set apart from any other book. Uh, there really isn't another book in existence like the Bible. Um, yeah, not to denigrate any other religion, but other religions have, their, have what they call their holy books, but stand them up side by side. In terms of its composition and the history of it, there is, there, they, there, there is no other even a holy book of another religion that really uh, compares to the descriptions like these that are true of the Bible. But you also see the second aspect of holiness in that, in that um, confession when we said pure in what it said there at the end, that the full assurance of, of all these things about the Bible, that comes from the internal work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, why You might say that's a... That's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about the Bible. But the important part about what that confession of faith said was that the Holy Spirit bears witness to our hearts by and with the Word. In other words, it's as you come to this book, which is unlike any other book. When you come to this book and you read it, something about this book and these words, through that, by it, with it, the Holy Spirit is active molding and shaping your heart and mind to what it's teaching you. That's, that's the purity of the word, right? And it's set apart. That is in brief what I, part of what I would have said last week when we talk about the holiness of the Bible. Um, but our focus tonight is on the inspiration of Scripture, and, and which is really, if I might go so far as to say, it is the most fundamental uh, and bedrock truth that we can believe about the Bible is its inspiration. Um, all the other things, all the other things that we could say about the Bible, all the other things that we will talk about this semester that we believe about the Bible, its inerrancy, its infallibility, its sufficiency, its authority, its necessity, all of those other things flow out of this one. If, it, if you don't have this, you don't have any of the other ones, right? Um, that the words of the Bible are the inspired words of God himself. So I want to think about that for a little bit tonight. Um, and, and like I said, it shouldn't be totally new if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we already brought up it a little bit when we talked about what Jesus believed about the Bible. But that's where we're going to put our attention tonight. So hopefully you've opened to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read a very foundational text 
that we're probably going to come to again later in the semester. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to begin, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight, but we're going to begin here in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. And there the Apostle Paul writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be, comp- may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word tonight, as we do every time we come to it, we, we confess back to you our faith and our belief that this is your and your holy and inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. This that we just read, every other text that we will turn to. And so, Lord, would you please give us eyes to see the truth that you would have us to, to see in these words? Would you give us minds to understand them? Would you give us hearts to embrace them? Would you give us wills to obey them? Give me the help that I need to teach, and would you please... Give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in the Word. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to try to do some careful thinking about this, but always let Scripture do most of the talking because the reason we believe these things about the Bible is not because human reason contrived them in any kind of way, but because Scripture itself testifies to these things. And if that seems like a circular argument to you, we will address that when we talk about the authority of Scripture. But as we think through this doctrine, if you're taking notes, we're going to organize it around three headings. Three headings. Uh, here they are. The first heading will be this, the what and the why. The what and the why. What is inspiration? Why do we believe it? Okay? That's heading number one, the what and the why. The second heading will be the how. How is it inspired? How, if you say it's inspired, how did that come to be? First point is the what and the why. Second point, the how. Third point, the so what. The so what. Like, okay, this is what we believe. This is why we believe it. Does it really matter on a Tuesday afternoon? Right? Um, Does it really matter? And we're going to look at a number of Scripture passages, especially when we're thinking about the what and the why. I would really love for you to turn with me to these different things as we go along, but I can't make you, but it's always good when you... Look at it with your own eyes. That will do most of the turning when we're talking about the what and the why. When we get to the how, uh, we're not going to spend a long time there because ultimately the how is a, is a bit of a mystery. But, but there is an interesting lengthy quote that I want to read to you that is just so insightful that it, it just might be how God did it. <laughs> and it would be amazing if he did. And then we're going to finish with the so what. And I want to mention a couple of points of application that are really worth knowing. That said, let's think about the what and the why. Why, What do we mean by inspiration of Scripture? Why do we believe it? Um, I think the Scripture that we just opened with, that's the reason I started here, uh, gives us a great foundational understanding of inspiration, at least in the basic terms of what it is and what it's not. Okay? The fundamental thing that, it te- that this passage teaches us about what inspiration is is that inspiration has to do with what was written, not who wrote it. It has to do with the writing, 
not the writer. Okay? Look again at verse 16. And it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, dot, dot, dot. And first of all, let me say that's why we believe that inspiration is the most fundamental aspect of what we believe about the Bible. Because notice verse 16 says, It is first inspired, or it's first breathed out by God, and second, it's profitable. It, it's all those other things in verse 16 because, because it is first breathed out by God. It's first inspired. But let's think more about what it says about, about you know, what does, it, what does it say is inspired by God. And it says all Scripture is breathed out by God. The, word, the Greek word there, translated Scripture, is graphe. Graphe. It's, the, it's, where we get, it's where we get graph, paragraph, graphics. Right? And it has to do with the words of Scripture, the writings. They are inspired by God. And that Greek word, translated variously, inspired, breathed out, God-breathed, that's the word theopneustos. It's a compound word, two Greek words put together. Theos, God, neustos, breath or spirit. Right? And that's why you have it translated, breathed out by God or God breathed. I think that's better than some translations that just say it's inspired. I, I think the word inspiration is unfortunate, but that's just the word that's come down to us. I think it's unfortunate because in today's language, when we, when we talk about inspiration, we're often talking about the person, not the product. Okay? So like a songwriter was inspired to write a song. Or an artist was inspired to produce the art. Or you think about a great work of art, or you think about, like, if you see a great work of art, what was your inspiration for that? Or you have a, a, someone who has a long career of things, and like, looking back on your career, where did, you, where did you often come up with the inspiration for the things you did, right? That's how we use the word inspiration. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about the inspiration of Scripture. It was not the author who was breathed into. It was what he wrote that was breathed into. It was why he wrote what he wrote. Okay? And another classic passage about the inspiration of Scripture, if you want to take a right from where you are right now and go to 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1. Uh, we're going to look at verses 20 and 21. Second Peter, there are two like classic passages that teach the inspiration of Scripture, and we started with one, and this is the other one. Second Peter one. Oh, I'm in First Peter. I'm like that doesn't say what I'm. All right. Second Peter one twenty and twenty one. Peter said, knowing this first of all. That no prophecy of Scripture, and he's using prophecy loosely there. He's just talking about any, any writing of Scripture. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy or no Scripture was ever produced by the will of man. In other words, it's, there's not one word of it that's purely and only a human product. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And at first glance, you might, 
You might look at that and, and think, well, that, that's saying the men were inspired. Men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But, it, but actually, the emphasis is following, falling on what they spoke. Men spoke from God, right? They spoke, they wrote what they did because it was being carried along by the Holy Spirit to be just that. And precisely what that looked like, that process, is, is ultimately mysterious. We'll say something about it in a minute. But again, the emphasis and inspiration is on the words of Scripture. As we said, you know, when we looked at what Jesus believed. He, Jesus, we saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus, we gave examples of how Jesus believed. He affirmed many places where the words of human writers were simultaneously the Word of God. Moses said something, and he would say, God said it. Moses said it, and God said it, same words. Or, De- or Asaph, he gave that example, right? And when you, when you read Scripture carefully, you see evidence of that all over the place. All over the place. Think of how, we don't have, just, we don't have like uh, references of all these, but just think of how many times in the Old Testament you see, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. And then what follows is verbatim, this is God's word. Like, I'm about to give it to you, here it is, right? Um, But it's from a pen of a human writer. Or how many times in the Old Testament, the writers of, not just the Old Testament, New Testament as well, sometimes you read it and the, the writer of Scripture is very aware that the Lord is revealing something to him as he writes. Just very aware of it. I think Jeremiah... If we're just going to go to one book and see this, it's all over the place in Jeremiah. So you're in 2 Peter, take a left, go back to the book of Jeremiah. It's about the middle of your Bible. We're going to start in Jeremiah chapter 3. And uh, I'm just going to, we're just going to see several examples of Jeremiah just being very keenly aware that the Lord was revealing words to him. So he said in Jeremiah, uh, let's see, 3, 6. Notice just the the specificity of it. He says, we don't have to to read the whole verse, just the beginning of it. The Lord said to me, in the days of King Josiah, and then he he quotes the, the Lord directly, but he's like, I remember when this happened. It was in the days of King Josiah, right? Or flip over to chapter 13, verse 3. Is somebody's radio over there? That's just really distracting. Anyway, probably my son left his radio over there. But anyway, he's on the main screw. Uh, Or somebody's hiding over there. Jeremiah 13, 3. Notice how it begins, or this is the whole verse. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time. It just came a second time. (laughs) Like, I know when it's happening, and I know when it's not happening. It happened, then it wasn't happening, now it's happening again. He knew it, right? Or uh, chapter chapter 26, verse 1. I know, I'm telling you, you're going to flip a lot right now, then you won't flip much anymore. You see this, uh, chapter 26, verse 1. 
in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came from the Lord. So this was, he knows specifically, this was not just during the reign of Jehoiakim, this was toward the beginning of the reign. And then in the very first verse of the next chapter, 27, 1, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. You see it again in chapter 33, verse 1, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. And I'm not going to make you turn, but you see the same thing in chapter 34, 35, 36. I mean, they're just very aware. This is what's happening to me now. I'm receiving the word of the Lord. And it's not just in the Old Testament. Let me just give you one example in the New Testament. Um, you can turn or you just listen, mark, mark it down. It's 1 Corinthians 14, 37. 1 Corinthians 14, 37. And this is the Apostle Paul saying, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command from the Lord. The thing, that's what, the, I've, I've never said that to anybody. Unless I'm writing something out of the Bible. But, Paul's just saying, what I'm writing to you is a command from the Lord. He knew it. There were so many examples of where the biblical writers were very aware that the words they were writing down were the very words the Lord God intended them to write. But there are other examples, much like the ones we saw last, uh, a couple of weeks ago, where it's not so much that the authors knew and were cognizant that they were writing God's words, but nevertheless... Elsewhere in Scripture, it looks back on what they wrote and says, that was the Word of God. Okay? Just note a few examples of that. We're going to flip around in the New Testament for a minute, and then you're going to be done. Mark 12, 36. Mark 12, 36. It says, and as Jesus taught in the, oh, that's verse 35, 36. David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, and he, and he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Who declared it? Who actually declared that? David himself. In the Holy Spirit. Both of them. Right? Take a right and go over to, chap to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Acts chapter 1, verse 16. This brothers... The Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Again, the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David. Compare that with Acts chapter 4, verse 25. Acts chapter 4, just a couple of chapters later. Chapter 4, verse 25 says, 
who through the mouth of our, of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and he quotes Psalm 2. Right? God through the mouth of your father David, by the Holy Spirit. David and the Holy Spirit. David and God. Or, here's last last place I'm going to ask you to turn. It's the book of Hebrews. Just a couple of passages in Hebrews that are worth noting. I'm just really driving home the point, and then we'll move on. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to, tra- we're going to compare 3, 7 and 4, 7. Hebrews 3, 7 and 4, 7. Hebrews 3, 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. That's Psalm 95. The Holy Spirit says, Psalm 95. Now look at 4, 7. Uh, Again, He appoints a certain day, today, saying, through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted, Psalm 95. So, in chapter 3, verse 7, the Holy Spirit says Psalm 95. In 4, 7, David says Psalm 95. You don't have to turn there, but in chapter 10, verses 15 to 17, he quotes the words of Jeremiah and says, that's the Holy Spirit. I hope you get the point by now. Um, That's not even looking at nearly all the examples we could have looked at when we talk about that's, that's not even touching the ones we looked at when we just looked at Jesus' words, and there's even more. It's all over the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament, the words of man are simultaneously the words of God, and that is the fundamental truth about the inspiration of Scripture. The word of man, simultaneously the word of God. And hopefully in all those examples we've seen, the, the, the what and the why of inspiration, what it is, in all the examples, we illustrate why we believe it. it, it there's an in, in, inescapable conclusion that if you're a careful reader of the Bible, you're going to see it if you're trying to understand it on its own terms. But the question then naturally arises when this doctrine is goes, how in the world did that happen? How does it come about? How does it happen that when David writes, when Asaph writes, when Jeremiah writes, when Moses writes, when Paul writes, Peter writes, they are writing... And sometimes they're aware that what they're writing is the Word of God, and sometimes they're very much not. But, at the same, but even when they're not, it is. How does that happen? Basic answer is, I don't know. It shouldn't, though, it shouldn't be difficult to believe that God could do something like that. He created the heavens and the earth. Um, but in the inspiration of Scripture... You, you just have one particular instance of what is always true, that God is meticulously sovereign over whatsoever comes to pass in this world, right? That not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of the Father, that he works all things according to the counsel of his will, not surprised that he produced a Bible through people, right? There's still some mystery here. It's still okay to inquire as to how it might have come about. Uh, and for sure, Christian theologians since the early days of the church have thought about it. And there's been all kinds of theories about how it happened, both good and bad, trying to account for it. I'm not going to go through all the examples. Let me just note what I believe is a very plausible way, and it's just so fun to think about. 
Well, first of all, I need to say, whenever they were like, thus says the Lord, or what I'm writing to you is a command from the Lord, those times when they were very aware of it, when it especially when it's thus says the Lord, clearly that, that was some sort of dictation view. Like, whether it was in a dream or a vision, they were receiving the word of God, and they wrote it down verbatim, okay? They were just transcribing. But that doesn't account for the bulk of it, right? The vast majority of Scripture, the human authors were not aware at all. It doesn't seem that they were delivering the words of God. Um, but we have seen ample testimony saying it was, in fact. So how might that have happened? And it's here that I want you to listen carefully to a somewhat lengthy exp explanation given by a guy named B.B. Warfield. He taught at Princeton in the late 1900s, early, early 20th century. Uh, early, early 19, late 19th, early 20th century. Listen very carefully, please. These books were not produced suddenly by some miraculous act. Handed down complete out of heaven. But, like all other products of time, are the ultimate effect of many processes cooperating through long periods. There is to be considered, for instance, the preparation of the material, which forms the subject matter of these books, and there is the preparation of the men to write these books to be considered. A preparation physical, intellectual, spiritual, which must have attended them throughout their lives, and indeed, must have had its beginning in their remote ancestors. Can I just... It's just saying, when God chose a man to write Scripture, He didn't just begin with that man. He began with that man's dad and granddad and great-granddad. The long train of events that produced that man. <laughs> right? And the effect which was to bring the right men to the right places at the right times, with the right endowments, impulses, acquirements, to write just the books which were designed for them. Because when you read Peter, it sounds like Peter. And when you read Paul, it sounds like Paul. When you read David, it sounds like David. They don't all sound the same. They sound very different because they had different personalities, and yet they were all the Word of God. That's what he's saying. If God wished to give his people a series of letters like Paul's, he prepared a Paul to write them. And the Paul he brought to the task was, was just a Paul who spontaneously would write such letters. And here he gives an example. As light... As light that passes through the colored glass of a cathedral window, we are told, is light from heaven, but is stained by the tints of the glass through which it passes. So any word of God which is passed through the mind and soul of a man must come out discolored by the personality through which it is given. And just to that degree, it ceases to be the pure word of God. But what if? This personality has itself been formed by God into precisely the personality that it is for the express purpose of communicating to the word given through it just the coloring which it gives to it. 
what if the colors of the stained glass window have been designed by the architect for the express purpose of giving to the light that floods into the cathedral precisely the tone and quality it receives from them? And he's saying, the, re- the reason why when God gave a word to Paul and when it came out, it sounded like Paul. When it passed through Paul, it didn't cease to be the word of God because God designed Paul knowing that when it came out, it was going to look just like that. It is that, but when you read the, all of it, you don't get that it's, it's not all that serious, right? You read Paul telling Timothy, make sure you don't just drink water, drink a little, drink a little wine because it's better for your stomach. I mean, that's not just the guy who's just like, I'm devoted to you, Lord. What wisdom do you have? That's just like, man, I know you got stomach problems. Don't. You know, it's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's just in this moment, God wanted to produce these books and no others, right? And so, man, Thomas was a man who was devoted to God. Barnabas was a man who was an apostle who was devoted to God. Ain't no books by them, but there's books by these guys. There's a book, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but it produced this book, right? It's amazing to think about. Ultimately, there's mystery here, and we may get to heaven and find out that all of our flimsy attempts to, to try to explain it were absolutely wrong. But what is beyond dispute is Scripture's own testimony to itself to be at the same time the Word of God through the word of man. But that leaves us with one final thing I want to consider quickly. The so what. That's all fine and good. B.B. Warfield was a smart fella. He could be completely wrong. We see all this. We flipped and flipped and flipped and flipped and flipped and saw all these examples. So what? Well, on the one hand, the rest of this semester is going to be a gigantic answer to that question. So what? Well... Because it's inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's sufficient, it's clear, it's authoritative, it's necessary. But on the other hand, I think there's a few more things we could say in application tonight that attempt to answer the so what question. The first thing I would say, man, it just highlights the kindness of God. It highlights the kindness of God, not just to communicate his word and his will to us, but to do it in language that we could most certainly understand. It's not code you got stomach problems. It's that kind of stuff. But there's a second application, and I hope it doesn't step on anybody's toes. Unless you have your Bible open and are reading aloud from its pages, don't say, God told me. Boom, boom, boom. That's a phrase I hear all the time Christians say. Well, God told me. I heard it one day this week. In fact, what I, what I heard this week um, was in the context of someone saying, well, God told me to do this, and it was kind of like something that the Bible doesn't affirm. And the person who told me that was like, well, they said God told me. I, just, I was like, you can say, no, he didn't. Because I know he told me this, and this is not what you just said, right? Um, J.I. Packer. It's a name you need to know. Um, this, is what he, this is what he wrote. 
He called it private revelations, right? God told me. He said, if, if private revelations agree with Scripture, they're not necessary. And if they don't, they're false. You don't need a God told me, right? He has, what God has told us, He has told us so finally and so completely that He has written it down for us. That it says today what it said 2,000 years ago, right? Hebrews begins this way. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. There's sort of a finality kind of feeling to that. He spoke in many ways, and now He's done it this way. Done. Finito. Right? You have the fullness of his revelation here. Now, yeah, that is not to say that the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us or impress upon us certain actions to take, but he doesn't tell us new things. He's already given to us his word, which will more than occupy us for the remainder of our lives. And finally, knowing, it really got awful quiet when I said that, knowing that Knowing that this is the inspired Word of God should comfort us whenever we need His guidance. If we know that He has told us this and no more, then God knows then what, that what we have here is enough for our every need. Right? We will talk a lot more about that later when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. But it has its foundation right here with Scripture's inspiration. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the inspiration of your word. Thank you that when I read, especially when I read, for example, the the psalmist who's going through heartache and trial, and he says, Why, O Lord? Where are you, O Lord? And he doesn't understand, and you can tell the psalmist is, angry, confused, and it's raw, and it's real. Well, that's, you inspired him to say that. Those are your words. that You wanted us to have those words so that it's a comfort to us to know what, when we don't understand, we can cry out to you in, in our frustrations even. Thank you that we have this word. Thank you that we have it nicely bound every time we want to read it open it. It says the same thing. Lord, please help us not to neglect the sufficiency of what you've already said and leave us wishing and wanting another word from you when we could just take up and read and have all the wisdom we need. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.